From GreenBiz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz events. I'm Joel McCower. Larry Fink being a shareholder, employees, you know, it's all, they're all saying the same thing right now um, about ESG and socially responsible um, impact investing. So I think that boards and managements are getting the message. Darla Stuckey is executive director of the Society for Corporate Governance. She spoke with Rose McKinney-James, managing principal of EnergyWorks, and Catherine Smith, executive director of the Boston College Center for Corporate Citizenship. They spoke at the GreenBiz 18 conference in Phoenix, Arizona, about how boards oversee a company's sustainability efforts and the role sustainability executives can play. The session opens with Catherine Smith, the moderator, setting the stage. Let's listen in. Well, we've had a lot of talk over the last several days about Larry Fink's letter to CEOs in his portfolio company, and for good reason. Uh, Larry Fink is the head of BlackRock Investments with $6 trillion under management. Uh, and if you are in the Fortune 1000, uh, BlackRock is probably one of your top 10 companies' uh, shareholders. So in this letter, I just want to quote a little bit uh, from it. Uh, Fink talks about the need for companies not only to focus on business purpose, but also in profit, but also on social purpose. And we have two people today with us who are uniquely, uh, uniquely prepared and qualified to talk about how companies can deliver social value and, uh, and business value and how boards can actually help to drive the change and what compels boards to drive change on sustainability and social purpose issues. So first I'd like to welcome Rose McKinney-James. Among Rose's many accomplishments, she's the principal of EnergyWorks LLC and McKinney and James Associates. She's the former CEO and corporate for solar technology and renewable resources, and she's an experienced corporate advisor on clean energy and sustainable development. Rose is also a current board member for the MGM Resorts International. We're also fortunate to have Darla Stuckey, who's president and CEO of the Society for Corporate Governance. Um, the Society for Corporate Governance, for those of you don't, who don't know, uh, supports board members and corporate secretaries who support board members in helping to improve corporate cor governance. Um, prior to joining the society, Darla was the senior associate secretary at American Express, and she served on its nominating and governance and public responsibility committees and was on the boards of its two wholly owned subsidiary banks. So welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thanks for bringing your expertise. Um, in Larry Fink's letter, I just want to start by throwing this question out. He's, he says that he's asked for several years that, that uh, CEOs publicly articulate their company's strategies and, that they, for, and for specifically for long-term value creation and that they explicitly affirm in their responses to, to him as their investor that that strategy has been reviewed by his the board of director the boards of directors and it's the tone is a little bit peckish because he's been asking for this for several years so in your view what are the impediments to to that happening with boards because let carla start <laughs> all right i'll start on that one um can you i hope you guys can hear me because sometimes this doesn't work um, yeah, Larry Fink has been writing letters for the last few years to companies, and there's been an evolution. And this year, 
the headlines really picked up on it and uh, made it sound like a, maybe a bigger change than it is. But he has been asking. And this also coincides with uh, BlackRock's buildup of their engagement team. They engage with companies a lot, and so they do ask the questions that, that Larry asks in his letter. They ask that of the people in the corporations. And I would say to you that many of them have uh, gotten the program, and they engage, and they can, they can explain their strategy. They can, their board members, if they are on these engagement calls, can explain the strategy. Certainly the in-house GC, CFO, corporate secretary, can also, IR professional can also do that. But um, this year, it is a little different. It did seem to be a little bit more, um, you know, combination, you better tell us and figure out what you're going to do with your uh, extra tax money if you're repatriating assets. And keep in mind that the government isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. The only other thing I would say, you have to read that Larry Fink letter with um, that underlies it is what I would call, uh, what we call in the corporate governance industry, and I don't want to be negative, but we call them activists. We actually call them big A activists. Um, but those activists frequently have a much better articulated strategy for a particular company that they're going for in a proxy fight. Proxy fights are very expensive. BlackRock has to vote on those and sees you know, both sides. So I think part of what he's doing is telling companies, you need to do this um, and your boards need to get with it because the activists will come and, 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 and get board seats and this is not good for long-term uh, shareholder value or any other value. So one of the reasons I deferred uh, is because the, the use of the word impediment doesn't quite fit for my experience. We have been very focused from a strategic standpoint over the last few years as we've refreshed and revisited our approach to try to create a balance. And in particular, um, we were one of the early companies to adopt uh, a uh, diversity and inclusion uh, initiative that then expanded to include philanthropy, and most recently to include sustainability. So at the board level, we have a committee, a corporate social responsibility committee, which I have the privilege to chair uh, in this cycle. And so while I found uh, Mr. Fink's letter provocative, uh, I don't think I was at all uh, ch uh, challenged by the, the tone because I think uh, the culture that we've adopted at our company uh, has provided a great foundation for us to be very responsive. Mm -hmm. Terrific. Um, Rose, you've been, I'm going to start with you on this question, you've been on lots of different sides of governance questions. You've been a lobbyist, you've worked in the policy arena, you've advised companies, now you sit as a board member. What advice would you give and Darla, I'd love for you to weigh in on this to, to those people, the sustainability and corporate citizenship professionals who are really trying to make change from the bottom up. How can they really get the attention of, of their boards of directors and their C-suite to help drive the change from the top down as well? I think it's really important to position your argument to make the business case. There has to be some connectivity to what the company is undertaking and what your main goals are. The reason that we find the sustainability is an important core value for our company is that we see it as a priority within the communities where we work. It, we see it as a priority with our employees. And to the extent that we engage in both of those arenas, uh, we see 
a need to be responsive. Uh, we are trying to move away from this tone deafness of uh, looking at it from only a cost standpoint and trying to identify opportunities uh, where we have what I call embedded opportunities within our business uh, activities to take full advantage of it. So the advice is be direct, be concise, come with a, a solid message, be prepared to offer metrics, uh, and be positive in, in your messaging. No one wants to be faced with um, kind of an in-your-face, you-need-to-do-this message. I don't Dead seagulls. Yeah. <laughs> They're dead seagulls. All right. <laughs> Darla. Um, I agree with you completely, Rose. Um, I, the, I can't really add too much to that, but I can say, again, this is my area, but there is a group of people in your company called Corporate Secretary, Assistant Secretary, Deputy General Counsel, Chief Securities Lawyer. They have been engaging with shareholders for many, many years on proposals that have been in, uh, submitted to companies for their proxy statements. And this is public companies, not privates. But um, those people know the environment. They, they, they have learned about the environmental, sustainable, you know, and social uh, issues you know, first, perhaps, maybe even before the sustainability groups came in. So if you want a different tack, they also are, are um, folks that weigh in on agendas for board meetings. So if you're really trying to get something to senior management of the board, you know, a lot of these things arise from shareholder proposals, and that's how they get up to board level. Maybe not the only way. I like Rose's way better, you know, people from the ground up. But it is exactly those stakeholders that you mentioned, the communities, your employees, um, your consumers. I mean, the consumers are on social media all over the place, and 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 um, and your shareholders. So Larry Fink being a shareholder, employees. You know, it's all they're all saying the same thing right now um, about ESG and socially responsible um, impact investing. So I think that boards and managements are getting the message. Well, you 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 have to hear it. I'll give you an example. For. I don't know, three to four years uh, over the course of my early tenure, at the annual shareholder meeting, we had um, an investor who came to the mic, had you know, full access to the management team and the CEO, and in very specific terms said, where's your sustainability report? And the CEO said, well, we are active in sustainable activities, um, and you know, that information is readily available. That happened for th like th three years in a row, and I started to get a little uncomfortable. So it's my role to have a conversation. And I decided I would have a conversation. Why do we have a sustainability report? And there wasn't a good answer. So we've had a sustainability report ever since. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. I, I think everybody would want Rose on their board. <laughs> Any of you looking for new board members? Maybe she's got some time, I don't know. So, can you talk a little bit about how disclosure can actually drive performance conversations at the board level? Well, whenever you're dealing with metrics, um, uh, disclosure means that you, whatever you do is going to be publicly re received and acknowledged. And so it creates a dynamic that says, let's do this within the parameters of our culture. We are, uh, at MGM Resorts, I, I like to say, a very cutting-edge company. Uh, it's a very competitive industry. As a matter of fact, one of my competitors was on the stage just before, um, before this, this panel. And so, 
finding a way to distinguish yourself is really important. And we've determined that sustainability is one of those, those pathways. So it's, it, it's just become a, a core value. And uh, understanding that means that it's easy to develop the metrics that are necessary and perform to those metrics. What we found as we've expanded uh, beyond the borders of Nevada is that communities expect us to be able to, to demonstrate going in what we, we will be able to achieve to the benefit of their communities. And our sustainability efforts have led the way in many instances in our ability to secure those opportunities. Great, thank you. Darla? Well, I just, so when you say disclosure to a, you know, securities lawyer, we think of it, it, it comes, again, we started from a very different place. We start from this government regulatory, very prescriptive, prescriptive scheme about what has to and what doesn't have to be disclosed. So the whole idea lawyers are going to tell you what you can and can't do, and this is required and this isn't required, is, is butts up against investors who say, just tell us your story. What are you doing about sustainability? Why can't you, why don't you have the sustainability report? So it does come to pass that, again, your securities lawyers, your GCs, and your boards are dealing with how are we going to tell our story, and it'll be in a proxy statement, or it'll come through, you know, the risk, uh, the risk part of the 10K. You know, what are your risks? This is a lot of sustainability comes up through the risk rubric or from um, other opportunities. And, uh, and it does eventually get disclosed or, you know, in some sort of uh, fashion, different initiatives, whether it be in your sustainability report or in your actual file document. And again, as a securities lawyer, we've got a lot of worries about integrated disclosure because there's liability for one and not so for the other. But I will tell you this, that many companies... CSR reports are starting to filter up to the lawyers and in, in the companies, and they're starting to take a closer look about what are we really saying and is this right? Because you know we want it to be accurate. I will just say one story on sort of safety risks, opportunities, and sustainability, and how everything meshes. And maybe you guys know it. I'm kind of new to this space, so I thought it was a real eye opener. You guys probably will be bored with it, but UPS, for example, figured out that if their drivers of the trucks don't turn left, it helps for a lot of reasons. It helps, number one, for safety, because left turns are more dangerous, and it helps for uh, saving on gas uh, for their trucks because you have to idle longer while you're waiting for the left turn. Um, so they created a, an algorithm map for all their drivers so on their routes for the day, and they, they there are no left turns. I love that. I mean, I don't know if you guys know that, but anyway. So, but that didn't come because you know they said they woke up one day and said, "Let's be sustainable." They said, "How are we going to cut our costs? Mm -hmm. How are we going to be more safe?" You know, um, so it, it, it sort of it, it comes together in, in different ways. Agreed. So performance efficiency and cost savings can be one driver. Another driver, and we touched on this briefly, can be stakeholders. Yes. And you both had interesting perspectives on stakeholders and the intention behind this letter. So I'd love to start with Darla and just um, have you share your perspective on the intention and the intended audience also for the Think letter and why we think it's been so provocative in the investor community. Well, so the cynical and jaded among us might say this is a marketing document because BlackRock is in a competitive space. They want to collect assets. A lot of the um, 
people that own assets, you know, are interested in sustainability, and he is a fiduciary for those people. I think even on a broader scale, again, what I've noticed here, too, is everyone's younger than me, um, and I, I love that. Um, I have three millennial children who keep me quite, uh, who, who pull me forward, which is good, but if you think about investors like BlackRock or Vanguard or State Street, any of the big ones that have the retirement and the 401k money, where is their base coming from? Their future is you guys, you know, and the younger generation, and they're going to be in the 401ks. So clearly, if you're going to align your mission with your customers, your ultimate customers, or your ultimate owners of the money, um, that's what you're going to talk about. So that's just, that's just one way to read it. I mean, you could do a whole, you could do a whole course on, he had a lot of stuff in that letter. <laughs> he did have a lot of stuff. So as we were having our conversation, though, as, as, as I recall, we were talking about fiduciary responsibilities for, for board members, and it's your fiduciary responsibility to protect all of the, the stakeholders. But it's also your responsibility to keep your eyes and ears open and to express a position, um, and not to be so concerned about one aspect of the stakeholder base that you eliminate your ability to think in, in, a, in, a, in a forward way. And so a letter like this, I love letters like this now. You know, maybe my general counsel doesn't love it so much. <laughs> but for me, uh, beyond the fact that it's provocative, it gives the board something more to think about. We have very specific duties and obligations, and we all come with different uh, uh, backgrounds and expertise. For me, a letter like this is very supportive of my own advocacy in the sustainability space and gives credibility to arguments that I might make uh, as we make decisions around where we're going to invest. So it, it's, it's, a, it's one of those situations where it really sort of depends. Mm -hmm. uh, it also says to a company, as you think about who you want to lead your company, you need to know where they stand on some of these issues mm -hmm. as well. I loved in the conversation earlier, Rose said, I think as, my, as a board member, my, my responsibility is to say yes when somebody comes to me with an issue. Yes and, so that we could explore it. Um, we just have a couple of minutes left, so I want to check in with the sidebar and see if we have questions from the audience. Hi, sidebar. Hi. So, <laughs> hi, Rose. Hi. Um, so, um, we had a question about what sustainability teams can learn from boards. So what's the language they can use to sort of get more attention or get more backing around their specific initiatives, especially if they don't necessarily have a champion like Rose on the board, um, which is that sort of direct link, or maybe the board members don't have any background in sustainability as sort of a, a general um, kind of, they don't necessarily think in those terms. So what can the sustainability teams do? to sort of get more attention. So understanding that the board's responsibility is to work with the management team uh, to develop strategy, bring strategic thinking to your proposals. Uh, how does it fit within the um, brand of whatever business uh, you, you, you're, you're uh, approaching? Uh, secondly, uh, it is about the business, and so when you're able to save money long-term, when you're able to identify opportunities for innovation and technological advancement, you need to focus on that. 
there are many companies who want to be positioned to be in the forefront and outlining opportunities in that way will get the attention of the board. Uh, also, if you find that you are not getting traction with the management team, boards like to know uh, because we are limited in our, our interactions with the company. We are not operational. We are there uh, to provide oversight. So the language that we want to hear is uh, around how strategically these opportunities can enhance the company. Darlie, would you like to add? I, I think that's right. I mean, again, I don't know how much, the only other thing I would say is, you know, if you've got investor or customer real issues about things, I'm thinking back to the Disney solution, you know, they didn't like the packaging, that maybe that came up from a customer experience type situation. But those are the things that are gonna trigger you and, you know, to, to, to bring up new ideas. So, and, and word, last case, whatever, make a friend of your corporate secretary or assistant secretary and see what's on their plate and, and see how you get on a board agenda or, you know, you're gonna, that's maybe a few levels up or talk to your senior managers and see what you can do. Well, I mean, everything is around networking. You can go to the website, you can figure out who the board members are, you, you can figure out what their interests are, uh, and you can determine, you can probably do a little bit of a, a roadmap around where uh, their thinking might be and look at that set of influencers because every board member has a set of influencers. Every person does. Thank you for that very practical advice. I think this is great insight into how we can start to achieve these wonderful initiatives like those that we've seen from GM, from Disney, and all the companies who have been on stage over the course of the week. Thank you, Rose. Thank you, Darla, for sharing your expertise. You've been listening to Darla Stuckey of the Society for Corporate Governance, Rose McKinney-James of Energy Works, and Catherine Smith of the Boston College Center for Corporate Citizenship in conversation at the GreenBiz 18 conference. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into GreenBiz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.